wonderful thing it is to sing with all of you just these praises to our great God because he truly is worthy of all of it and more, really. We're continuing in our study of the book of Genesis as we open God's word. And if you'd like, you can turn to Genesis chapter 29 and we'll pick up, I don't know if I've got my PowerPoint going. We'll pick up in uh, verse 31 and then we're going to go through chapter 30, verse 24. So we've got a, a big section here. Um, we've got a big section here, but we will cover it all. I want to kind of just remind you where we are quickly, not a big review. But so far, we pick up uh, with Jacob on the run from his brother. Jacob's on the run from his brother who he's, uh, you know, tricked uh, and gotten, gotten his blessing. And now he is in Haran on his way there. God has uh, appeared to Jacob and he has uh, given him the Abrahamic covenant promises. Um, and so as we saw last week, though, Jacob gets to Haran. He sees uh, Rachel there. He wants to marry her. He works seven years in order to uh, earn her as his wife. But instead of getting Rachel, he gets Leah on his wedding night. Uh, so he was tricked by Laban. Uh, but he is given Rachel as well after that uh, marriage week, that wedding week. He gets Rachel as well, but he now has to serve another seven years uh, to earn her. So... This is where we are. We have uh, a situation that is not what God um, intended, what, not what God desires for marriage. This is called polygamy. That is having uh, poly, that's multiple wives, uh, polygamy. And so this is uh, not only is polygamy bad and you know, could cause problems, but this is sisters uh, in a polygamous marriage. So I can't imagine uh, how, how bad things are going to go here. But we don't have to imagine um, because we're going to see this drama unfold for us today. So I hope you'll, you'll read along with me. This is a, a long section. I know it is. Um, Genesis tw uh, 29, beginning in verse 31. And we're going to go to verse 24 of the next chapter. It's a long section, but try to focus with me, okay? Try to pay attention from beginning to end, because um, it's really quite interesting if you're paying attention. But there is a lot to learn here. So join me in, in reading Genesis 29, beginning in verse 31. It says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he gives me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I, am, I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then, he said, then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Then Leah saw that she had ceased when sorry when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children she took her servant Zil, Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son and Leah said good fortune has come so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son and Leah said happy am I for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. 
In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you also take away my son's mandrakes? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. That is God's word. That is what we will look at and study today. This is really in the Bible, people. (laughs) And this is what we are going to look at today. And I believe God has a great word for us if we will listen. So let's pray together and ask that God would do that. Father God, we have this tragic story and we wonder how things could get so bad even for the people who have your covenant promises lord we wonder how 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 people could could let things get so divided and distorted in their lives but god we recognize also that many times we don't heed your word we don't live by your precepts And we also allow things to become divided and distorted and chaotic in our own lives, Lord. So God, as we look at this text, as we look at this story of these people, would you help us to reflect on our own lives and see if we might be um, in any way that is not pleasing to you, loving anything that we ought not love in the way that we love it, Lord. Help us to see that you are the treasure of greatest value and to give you all the glory. I pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. So we have here uh, really a story just, you know, loaded, loaded with problems. This, this family has, has all these issues. And again, I want to bring it to your attention because we can read this uh, very, you know, almost scientifically. But we need to remember this is also a, a biography, not, not just, you know, uh, this record of what happened. This is a biography of real people, a real husband, real wives, real sisters, and real children that were brought into the world. And I believe that that's tragic when we see all that's going on in their lives. Uh, they, they have real feelings, real emotions, real wants, real desires. These um, are people that they're going to face real consequences for their actions. But thankfully, they have a real God, and he is involved. So let's look at some of these problems. I, I hate to be a downer, but this is what we're going to look at, uh, kind of the, the problems here, because I think we need to, to look at our, ourselves as well. The, the first problem I want to look at is, number one, Jacob failed his husbandly duty. Jacob failed his husbandly duty. I'm not trying to put all the blame on Jacob, but I do not believe that he held up his duty as given to him by the Lord. And I mean, I would say in, at some level, this strife, this uh, you know, disunity that's going on between these two wives is expected. This is not surprising that there's, there's kind of chaos in the household, Once again, God never intended for polygamous relationships. God has intended for one man, one woman to be joined together for life, become one flesh. And we we see that even in Genesis, uh, what is it, 2.24, I believe it is. Um, In Genesis, it says, A man shall 
a man, singular, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, singular wife, one man, one woman, and they are going against that. Now, I mean, Jacob's in a weird situation. He got tricked into marrying Leah and then given Rachel after, and, uh, but this is not God's uh, desire, certainly not God's pattern that he would have people walk through. So we wouldn't be surprised, and especially not uh, when we think about the fact that they are, they are sisters, and uh, you know, he's just got all sorts of things to, to walk through. Um, but I still believe Jacob could have handled things a lot better. Now I want to show you some of his faults here. Um, the very first verse we looked at, chapter 29, verse 31, just that first part, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. We just pause there. This is just a fact. The Lord saw that Leah was hated. That is, she was hated uh, probably not only by Rachel, but, but by Jacob. That's what this is talking about. I'm sure Rachel hated her as well for being married to the, the man that she was planning to marry all these years. But this is talking about Jacob's uh, hatred there for, um, for Leah. And, you know, I, th- we need to kind of be careful with this word hatred um, some would say this means that compared to his love for Rachel, it looked like hatred. And I'd say there's probably some truth to that. But I also think that there, if you look at the other usages of this Hebrew word in the Bible, um, it generally looks like hatred. Like uh, this is the word Abimelech, uh, about how Abimelech feels for Isaac um, in Genesis. can't remember where that is. I've got it here. Oh, Genesis 26. Um, this is the same Hebrew word that's used for the way Joseph's brothers feel for him just before they try to kill him, and then they end up selling him into slavery. So I don't know if this is uh, love him less by comparison, uh, you know, for Leah here. I, I don't know if it, this is love her less by comparison. I mean, I think that there was some genuine resentment going on and some genuine mistreatment going on. Um, but either way, she is not feeling loved. Now, who wants to be in that marriage? Raise your hand. I want to be in a marriage where my spouse hates me. Or at the very least, I don't feel loved by them. Now, I could probably say raise your hands if that's the marriage you're in, and we could, we could probably get quite a few hands if we're honest. Uh, but this is what's going on here. Jacob is withholding his affection. He's withholding his affirmation of her, uh, that he loves her, that he cares for her, that he's glad that he's married to her. Again, he was tricked into to marrying her, I know. But still, once you're in, you're in. <laughs> There's no, no going back here. He now has this responsibility to, to hold her fast, to, to, to cling to her as his wife and show this love and uh, help her to thrive. Uh, so that's with his, you know, um, hated wife. You know, he's not doing well with her, not doing well with her. But how about Rachel? His beloved, the one who, when he saw her, he just immediately loves her. He walks up to her, gives her a kiss on the cheek, this greeting. Then he weeps because uh, the emotion that she brings. Then he works seven years for her. And it says that it felt but as a few days. That's how much he loved her uh, before their wedding. Then he's having to now work seven more years and he was willing to take on that responsibility. But how's he doing with her? Is he helping her to thrive? Look at Genesis chapter 30. Verses 1 and 2. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Listen to this. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? This this is a little bit heartbreaking. Again, I think about my own life, the way I sometimes respond to my wife. Here she is having a crisis. She has this desire to have children. Her sister's having children. She's had four, and she doesn't have any. And she, she expresses this to her, her husband, and it's a bit exaggerated. Give me children or I shall die, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. Yes, it is, but his response to her, his, his anger is kindled against her. And then he says this, am I in the place of God who withholds you the fruit of the womb? Now, is that true? Is that true that, it, uh, that it's God who gives life and God who, who closes the womb? Absolutely. And if you want that theology, just reread this chapter, uh, this passage that we're, we're studying, and you will see God open wombs and close wombs. And so, 
yes, God is in control of these things. It was true what Jacob said, but it was not loving. Men especially, there's a big difference, but women as well. There's a big difference between saying something true and saying it with love. True in a helpful way, a way that builds up, a way that, that encourages in the right direction. Now, if you remember uh, some chapters back, um, Isaac had a wife, and she was sad about not having children. And what did he do for her? Does anyone remember? I'm listening. What does he do when, when she's sad about not having children? He prays for her. Yes. Here is what we should have seen Jacob do. We would love to hear him say, Rachel, I know you're struggling with this. I, I know it's hard. Let's, let's take this to the Lord. Let, let's take this to the Lord. Let's, let's pray that God would give you the fruit of the womb. Instead, he just blurts out this truth. Am I in the place of God? How dare you request that of me? How dare you say those things? It's true, but it's not loving. You guys know these verses. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That is what Jacob was to his beloved wife. The fun has worn off. The, the romance has maybe worn off. This You can't do anything wrongness has worn off, and he, his anger is kindled against her, and he lets it loose on her. Now, we could read Ephesians 5 and how husbands are supposed to uh, cherish their wives, love their wives as they love themselves, as Christ loves the church. That's what he should have done here. I, I understand that Ephesians was not written at this time, but this is the pattern God had. This is the pattern God desired for marriage, and yet he lashes out on her. And so we've seen this. He, he, he's not showing love to Leah. She's just off to the side. I mean, he's having children with her, but he's not showing her love. Each time she still says, maybe this time he'll love me. And then Rachel, when she's struggling, he just pushes her down. And we'll see how that ends up playing out in their lives. But I want to say right now, husbands, how are we doing? How are we treating our wives? Are we showing them that they are the apple of our eye, that they are, uh, we are glad to be with them, that they are uh, this little treasure from God, this earthly treasure from God, that we have to enjoy this relationship with them? Are we patient with them when they are struggling? Sure, they may say things they ought not say. You do too, by the way. But when they say those things, how are you responding are you responding with, with anger, putting them in their place, we say? Or are we tenderly responding in leading them to the Lord, to trust the Lord in prayer and in his word, shepherding their hearts? This is the way it must be. And again, I'm not saying Jacob was entirely responsible for his wife's sins. And I'm not saying you are either or I am either. But I am saying he did have a responsibility to love and cherish and shepherd his wife, wives. And he is not upholding that. And we need to do better. We need to do better. I would say, um, I know I need to do better than my you know, history. I, I always want to do better. And I pray the Lord would use uh, examples like this to help all of us to do better as husbands, to love and affirm and lead our wives in the right direction. So that's where Jacob messed up. He's really not the focus of this story, but I wanted to point that out, that he occasionally makes appearances, you know. And um, so I wanted to point out this, that he is failing in this area. Area, And so these women are kind of on their own to figure things out, but we'll look at their sins. They are really the focus. So what are they doing? What's going on? What makes this all get so crazy? Number two, the wives commit idolatry. You say, wait a second, I don't remember them, you know, fashioning any idols out of wood or out of gold or silver. I don't remember that happening. When were they bowing down to idols? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about their heart worship is inclined to something more than their heart is inclined to God. Their attention is on something far more than their attention is on God. And I mean, we need to remember this. Neither of them are desiring anything bad, right? 
how dare Leah want her husband to love her. No one would say that. That's a, she, that's a good desire for her husband to love uh, her. And, you know, she maybe even should have a conversation with him. Like, hey, <laughs> could, it would be nice if you'd affirm me. We're in this together. I know I may not have been your first choice, but here we are. This is a good desire. But when it becomes an overwhelming desire, an obsessive desire, it becomes a bad thing. It becomes a little g God thing. And same thing for, for Rachel. She wants children. No one would say, how dare she want children? God is the one who said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is a good thing to want children. It's a hard thing to not have children. But, again, she becomes obsessed. Let me just show you these quickly uh, in, in the passage. Uh, 29 verses 31 through 35 um, just, just listen to the names Leah gives to the children, and it just expresses her obsession, her, her, her just striving for this one thing of her husband's love. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. That's what she sees here. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. So again, because my husband doesn't love me. And she called his name Simeon. And she, again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, which means uh, praise the Lord. That's what that means, uh, praises. So, you, you see in all these things that she is literally naming her children based on her desire for her husband's love. I would consider that to be a, a consuming desire, just a, an obsession, a focus that she has. And I even see some um, sadness there um, in, in verse 35 where she names uh, her fourth son Judah. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. So why is she going to praise the Lord? Well, because he's given her four sons. So now God deserves praise. I would say any time where we're only willing to praise God because he gives us something that we want, something other than him that we want, if that's what it takes for us to praise the Lord, then we have an idolatry problem. If you can't praise the Lord in the valley, then you're not really praising the Lord on the mountains either. You're loving that thing that God has given you, not God himself. Do you get that? Can you praise God when you lose your job, not just when you get a bonus? That's what's going on here. She's praising God only because he's given her what she wants. So for a moment, she has contentment. But we kind of see that looming phrase, then she ceased bearing. That's at the end of verse 35, the end of chapter 29. Then she ceased bearing. That kind of tells us, to be continued... That's not the end of this story. But then we look at Rachel's idolatry. Was she idolatrous? It says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 30, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Would you consider that to be idolatry? If there's something in your life that you would rather die than go without it, I would say you have an idol in your life. You say, if I can't have this thing, then I would just rather my life end right now. That is an idol. I mean, we can compare that uh, to things like Asaph in, in Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? He's speaking to God. And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Psalm 16, 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. Philippians 3, 8, to get some New Testament, indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. But these women, one, only praises the Lord because he's giving her this thing that she wants, this children that she believes will give her the love of her husband. And then the other wants to die because she doesn't have what she wants. God isn't giving her what she wants. 
And by the way, I would point out to you that there is this comparison going on. There's this comparison going on. Rachel is the beautiful one. Leah has weak eyes, it told us in the last chapter, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. She's beautiful. She already has the love of her wife, but she looks over at her sister and says, wait a second, she has children. That's what I need to be satisfied. But then Leah, she's having all these children, you know, and it's like, no, no, I still need this love and this affirmation from my husband. Again, not a bad desire, but it's become this overwhelming desire. They're both comparing with each other. They both have something, but they both want what the other has. This is idolatry. And I just, I, I mentioned that comparison thing to you. Uh, again, we, we saw that in uh, verse 30. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. That, that's what's going on here. There's this envy. I, I want to tell you, envy, covetousness is idolatry. And so I tell you to be careful about this, to, to look around at the people around you and say, well, look what they have that I don't. Wow, their, their, their car is nicer than mine. Their house is nicer than mine. Their, their family's uh, bigger than mine, easier than mine. They, they have more money than I do. She's prettier than I am. He's more handsome. That is a good way. If, if you're trying to stir up idolatry, then do that. Then compare yourselves with others continually. But if you want, want the Lord, focus on him. If you don't want this idolatry, focus on him. I would say comparison is a foothold of Satan uh, to, to let idolatry uh, spring up in your life. It, it really is. It will, it will fuel it. I could tell you so many stories here, I won't, but just in my own life and in our marriage ways that Hallie and I, we'd see this, that we're comparing with all these other people and it came to hit us like, this is idolatry and we need to take this to the Lord. And this is what they needed to do. It's not what they do. They have this idolatry. and So I ask you, do you have idols in your life? Are there things that you feel you cannot live without? You may have them, but if you were to lose it, then you say, I wouldn't even want to live anymore. Are there things that you just are continually comparing yourself with others? They have more of this. They don't have this problem. <laughs> and, it, and it just ruins you. And I would say that that's a good way to think about things. Are there, are there things that just totally ruin your, your countenance, ruin your attitude, make you uh, completely unhappy and, and despairing of life because you don't have it or it's gone bad. If those are going on, then there's a good chance you have idols going on in your life. Things that you are loving, that you are worshiping, that you are pursuing more than God. Now, we, we move on in this story because idolatry never stays just in the heart, does it? Idolatry always springs forth, and that is number three. Idolatry leads to immorality. Idolatry leads to immorality. Unchecked, unrepented of, inward idolatry will always inevitably become outward immorality. Outward sin against God and against others. I mean, we can see this just all through this passage, but I, I can note to you a, a couple things. First, I notice how these two women are treating each other. Are they loving one another? Are they pursuing the good of one another? No, they, they hate each other. They're, they're battling against each other. Uh, look at how uh, Rachel puts it in uh, ver verse 8 of chapter 30. Verse 8 of chapter 30. Then Rachel said, With mightily, mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Naphtali means wrestling in Hebrew, by the way. All these names, that's, that's what's going on here, is they either are the Hebrew word or they phonetically sound like the Hebrew word um, that they're, they're expressing there. So with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. She is fighting, actively fighting with her sister for, for status, for, for being the wife. That's what's going on here. This is what idolatry does. It causes quarrels. It causes fights. That probably sounded familiar to some of you, what I just said. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Covetousness, which is idolatry, according to Colossians. So you, you have this idol in your life, this thing that you covet, and so you fight and quarrel. And that's exactly what's going on. They're sinning against one another. These sisters, they may have been best friends at one time in their life. I hope that my girls become best friends. They may have been best friends, but now because of this idolatry going on in their lives, they're messing up that relationship, messing up the whole uh, Jacob house here. So there's this hatred for one another. That's, that's a sin, an outward sin from this idolatry. And I would just say, just by way of application, if you have quarrels and you have fights going on in your life on a consistent basis, you have idols going on in your life. The other person probably does too, but check your heart. There's, there's, there's something that is making you willing to fight and, and, and respond badly, even if you say, ah, they're 90%. Well, check your 10% and see what that idol is. Outward sin is, is the roadmap to see our idolatry, the idols that we need to kill. And we go on here, that's pretty bad to be hating one another as sisters, but it gets worse. Uh, chapter uh, 30, uh, verses 1 through 4, again, we see, uh, When Rachel saw she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. There's the idolatry. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? There's Jacob not doing his husbandly duty. Verse 3, Then she said, Rachel said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. She gives her servant to him, uh, sexually so that he can have a child through her that she wants a child that bad that she is willing to to have her husband commit adultery that, that's what's going on here now i, I will say in this time in the, this semitic culture this was a a legal thing to do if if uh, the the wife couldn't have children she could give her her servant to the, uh, to the husband, and, and they could have a legal child through her. So this was legal. But listen to me. Just because something is legal, it does not make it moral. Just because something is legal, because the government says it's okay to do this, you won't get arrested, it does not mean that it is pleasing to God. So if the government says, hey, you can get drunk if you want to. You can smoke weed if you want to. You can um, have sexual relations with whoever, whoever you want to. You can marry whatever gender you want to. You, you can do all these things, and you won't get arrested. That does not make them okay in God's eyes. It's, it's still sin. It is still rebellion against God. So we need to not look at what our culture is doing, what our culture is saying is okay, and say, okay, that's what I'm going to do, even though it's sin against God. I, I, I emphasize this because we are in that culture. We are in the culture that is saying, no, 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 no. We don't, don't worry about what God said. That's old stuff. Don't, don't worry about that. This is what's now right. It's actually now wrong to say that homosexuality is a sin, act, uh, practicing homosexuality. It's wrong to say that now, according to this culture. The, the culture now says that what is right is wrong, and what is wrong is right, and, but we have to serve the Lord. So we've got to know what God's Word says about these issues, and we've got to live by those, not what our culture says is legal. We've got to do what is truly moral in God's eyes. And so we see um, Rachel do that, but then Leah does the exact same thing there in verse 9, chapter 30, verse 9. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And it goes on there about the children Zilpah has. So even though Leah has already produced four sons, when she sees that, that Rachel's servant is having surrogate children, she still envies once again and says, okay, I've got to do something about this now. I've got to increase this again. Okay, now you can have my servant too. Now, now I'm willing to walk in this sin too. It's interesting, isn't it? She had just said 
uh, for ch child number four. Now, or this time, I will praise the Lord. So she called his name Judah. But when she ceases bearing, things change. When, when, when uh, Rachel begins to have children, things change. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. But I want to ask you right now, what is it that you are willing to sin to get? What is it that you're willing to sin, sin to protect? If there is something that you are willing to sin to do, to go against what God has said uh, to do, to, to do something displeasing to God, to have, that thing is an idol in your life. Are you willing to sin in order to have more money? Maybe cheat on your taxes, maybe cheat on your time card a little bit. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the scheme that you might uh, be tempted to use. Well, if you are willing to do that just to have a little more money, then money is an idol in your life, or at least the things it can buy. I doubt you're in love with the green paper, but you love the possessions that it can buy you. And that is an idol in your life because you have put it over God. You say, I will obey, I will worship money rather than God. What about power and respect? Power and respect. Are you willing to treat others uh, uh, badly, to put them down so that you might have more power, so that you might have more respect? If you are willing to do that, then power and respect is an idol in your life. You want people to see you a certain way. I've told the story before that I one time when I was working at uh, Silverdale Baptist Church, I had a guy put me down because I was merely an assistant. You know, I wasn't on the pastoral staff. And he, he says, oh, Jeff will do it. Jeff, and uh, it made me angry. And I went off on him one time in the lobby at church. One of my most embarrassing, uh, regretful times as I look back, I went off on this guy. Why? Because power and, and this respect and this honor that I wanted people to have for me, he had, he had taken that from me. He had made fun of me in front of everyone. So I lashed out on him. I put him in his place, as it were, and I had to repent. I had to apologize. I had to do a lot of things, and, and I had to work on that. I had to dig in, and that, that was my, my cue there. Jeff, if you were willing to do this, it shows you have an idol. It shows you have something that you love and pursue more than God. And so I had to do work with God. I had to say, God, I'm loving this thing more than you. I, I, I repent of it. I want to turn from it. I see it as wicked, and I want you to take it from me. I, I want you to, to have my whole heart. I had to do that. And I've had to do that with plenty of things, but I'm just giving that as an example of when you see any sin in your life, Use it as a roadmap because you sinned in order to gain something. You sinned in order to protect something. It may be comfort. It may be pleasure. It may be any number of things. But that thing that you were willing to sin to get is an idol in your life and it needs to be crushed. This is what we see. Idolatry leads to immorality. But here's the crazy thing. We pursue these with all our hearts but pursuing idols proves only vanity. That is, it proves to be empty. It proves to be worthless. It proves to be unsatisfying. Chasing idols proves only vanity. Do you know what a mirage is? Uh, I remember watching movies as a kid. Um, this was kind of a, just, it happened in several movies that, that I can think of, but they would be, uh, there'd be someone who was stranded out in the desert, right? And, and they're, they're out there walking, just trudging through the sand. And they, they're so far from civilization, they've run out of water a long time ago. <gasps> but there it is, off in the distance, they see water. Oh, there's a lake, I'm saved. And so they start running to that thing, right? And, and they, they use up all their energy, they, they pursue it with all their might. But what happens when they get there? It was just sand. There was nothing there. There was nothing satisfying. There was nothing that could sustain them. It was merely a mirage. And let me tell you something. Idols, pursuing them, you see this thing off in the distance. If I just have that, it is nothing but a mirage. It is vanity. There is nothing there. There is no lasting satisfaction. There is nothing that will sustain you through this life and all that's going to be thrown at you. Chasing idols is vanity. We see this over and over and over again in this passage. We see Leah having children, right? And each successive child she has, she says, 
this time my husband will love me. No, okay, now I have another. This time my husband will love me. And she does that even again later in the passage when she um, has children again, when God opens her womb. Um, we see here uh, verse 20. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. She's on six sons and she's saying, now I'll be satisfied. Now I'll have the thing that I want. She is striving after this with everything she's got. All her energy, all of her emotion is going towards this. But each time she gets it, she finds that it is empty. We see um, this with Rachel um, in chapter 30, verses uh, 14 through 21. We have the incident with the mandrakes. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically Reuben, Leah's uh, son, finds some mandrakes, brings them back to Leah. Rachel sees them and says, give me those. She says, I'm not giving you my mandrakes. And, and she says, well, I'll give you Jacob tonight. You, you, can, you can lay with him if you'll give me those mandrakes. Was, was Rachel just hungry? Does she really have a hankering for mandrakes? Mandrakes are called love apples. Uh, love fruit is the literal Hebrew word for mandrakes, Okay. There is a superstition behind mandrakes. They were an aphrodisiac. If you don't know what that is, ask your parents. Um, no, it, it just it, it, it makes you uh, desire sexual activity. It was thought, and not only that, it was thought that it would make you uh, fertile. It would make you um, able to, to, to have a child, to conceive a child. These were superstitions, okay? There's, there's no uh, basis behind these things, but this was a superstition, a wives' tale, an urban legend, whatever you want to call it. And she says, no, no, Leah, I don't want you to have these mandrakes, right? I don't want you to have more of my husband for him to desire you more. I want these mandrakes. I want to keep them from you, and I want them for myself so that he'll desire me and so that I will conceive a child. So she says, in exchange for these mandrakes, I'll I'll give you tonight. You you can have him tonight. She thinks, ah, this will be the one last time she wants him because I got my mandrakes. (laughs) Things are going to be good. She doesn't have them, but I've got them. But what happens? Leah has three more children. She conceives uh, that night, but then she not only conceives then, but um, has, has two more sons after that, and then a daughter. That kind of backfired, okay? So we can, we can pursue our idols, and oftentimes it will blow up in our faces. It really will. And I actually praise God when that happens. But yeah, th- that's what happens. She, she's pursuing her idol. She's going about it in this manipulative way. And it backfires on her. But then it gets even more tragic when she finally does have children. It's still not enough, uh, a child. Uh, Verses 22 through 24. Then, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Is that the name that you would want? By the way, don't worry about that if that's your name. Uh, <laughs> I, I guarantee you that's not what your parents were thinking. Um, the name means, may the Lord add. It, it, it's, it's a statement of discontentment in this context. That may, that's, may not be, uh, if your parents did know the meaning, uh, why they would name you that. Anyway, I'm going to skip off that, worrying about that. Uh, she makes it explicit that her meaning, her reason for naming Joseph this is that I want the Lord to add to me another son. So she finally gets what she's been looking for, a biological child. By the way, she had her surrogate children, right, through uh, Bilhah. That ended up not being enough. So now she uh, desires um, her own children because that was just vanity. It was a mirage when she got it. But now she has a child And just by the time she's naming the child, she's already saying, "Uh, may the Lord add to me another son. This still is not enough. Friends, let me tell you this. Your idols will never satisfy you. You'll think they will. You will think that they will. And that's why we pursue them with everything we've got. We, we, We think, okay, if I just have more, if I just get this thing, if my circumstances just change this way, if I can just manipulate things to go this way, then... I'll be happy. But here's the crazy thing. Oftentimes, we, we, we'll find that out. We'll, we'll get the thing we desired so much. Okay, it finally came into my life. We're happy for like 20 minutes, 
and then, then we're discontent again because we look at someone else, we see that they have more, they have better than us, and so we say, okay, I'll get more, and that still doesn't satisfy us. And I'll get more, and that still doesn't satisfy us. And then we say, okay, this thing must not be it. I'm chasing the wrong thing, and so what do we do? I pick that idol now. This is the thing I'm now going to pursue with all my heart, all my attention, all my affections. We just change idols when it is God who is the fount of living waters who wants to satisfy you. This passage is such a powerful one. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13. God says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people, Israel, have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's the two evils uh, not only Israel commits, but that all mankind commits, is we forsake God who is the fountain of living water. That is, it is continual, it is clean, it is refreshing, it is satisfying. We forsake Him, and we hew out cisterns in the mud, in the dirt, and it turns out they can't hold water anyways. That's our idols. I'm going to pursue this. No, 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 I don't need that fountain. I want this over here. I want my muddy, dirty, stagnant water that, that runs out the bottom. This is idolatry. It will always prove to only be vanity in your life. And God, all the while standing there saying, I'm the fountain of living water. What are you doing playing in that muddy cistern? It is idolatry. It leads to immorality. And it turns out to only be vanity when we finally get what we are pursuing I could stop there, but I want to say one more thing. God is still there through it all. God shows charity. I, I'm not going to belabor this point, but I think we need to understand it. God is still giving children, even though this idolatry is going on. Children are a heritage from the Lord, a blessing from the Lord. This is God making this happen. It's God giving these incredible gifts of children. It's God doing this for these idolatrous people, for a husband who isn't loving his wife and wives the way that he should, and these wives that desire something more than God. God is still being charitable. He is still being gracious, giving them what they do not deserve. This, by the way, all these children that we've just listed, they become the 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> that happened through these idolatrous women and their servant women. For a man who can't, doesn't know how to treat any of them, God still makes the, these, these 12 tribes of Israel. When we look at Rachel. Rachel, God did finally give her uh, biological children. Her, her first child that she has um, will play a very significant role in the rest of Genesis uh, when we get a little further. His name is Joseph. By God's grace, after he's sold into slavery, he literally saves the world from a famine that comes. Not only the world, but, but Israel, you know, is the most important thing. And he ends up being a prefiguring, a type of Christ, as we'll see when we study this. God gave that to Rachel, this idolatrous woman who envied her sister, who coveted what she had. Leah, Leah was hated and despised by her husband for being a part of this trick, you know, uh, marrying her when he really wanted Rachel. Then she has this, this idolatrous desire for the love of her husband and believes children will give it to her, but God still gives her children. Two of those I want to point out to you that I think are especially important in the rest of the Bible. They, they all play a role. A role. Um, but Levi and Judah come through Leah, the unwanted wife. The tribe of Levi becomes the priestly tribe. These are the people who, who will offer sacrifices, make atonement for the people of Israel. They will lead the people of Israel in worship, and once a year, one of them will get to go into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. This is the tribe of Levi that comes through Leah. Then we see another uh, child um, that she has is Judah. Judah, the tribe of Judah. What is the tribe of Judah? Well, that ends up being the kingly line. 
of Israel. This is who God says, no, the kings need to come through the tribe of Judah. We have uh, people like David, King David. We have Solomon come through this line and many others. But most importantly, most importantly, who comes through the line of Judah is who? Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, our only hope of glory comes through Leah, even though she was idolatrous in all of this. We may fail, but God never will. We may be faithless, but God will continually be faithful. He had given a covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, and he is fulfilling that covenant even through these idolatrous people. God is continually showering his blessings on them. I, I, I do believe these people all come to know the Lord, but man, they're, they're paying for their sins uh, in a sense. Like they, they are... Uh, they're not receiving the full consequences. Understand that. They're not receiving the full consequences, but they're receiving consequences for, for this. They certainly are. But what I'm pointing out is, even though there's these consequences, God is still blessing them in these incredible ways, most importantly by bringing Christ Jesus through their line. God shows charity. So what have we seen here today? Jacob is not fulfilling his husbandly duty. He's not. He needs to do better. But these wives are walking in idolatry. They have things they desire more than God. And that always leads to immorality. Outward sins. And you can trace the sins and find the idols. But if we just continue to chase them, we will always and every time find that chasing idols is vanity. God is the only fount of living water. Everything else is but a mirage. May we learn these things. May we repent of our idolatry. May we search it out. Ask God to show us what we might love more than him. To reveal to us when we sin what it is we will, we're really pursuing instead of him and repent of those things. To look at where we have conflict in our lives and say, what, what is it that I'm quarreling and fighting in order to get? What idol is it that I need to repent of? And we praise God that all of that idolatry is paid for on the cross. All we got to do is confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's turn to God now in prayer. Father God, I thank you that we have here this um, tragic instance that we can learn from. And Lord, I pray that we don't have to experience the same tragedy I pray that we don't have to experience the same discord in our lives, in our relationships, in our relationship especially with you, God, but even with those around us. Let us go ahead now and repent of our idolatry, and then let us use your word to make us aware of when new idols pop up. And God, let us see that the way to crush those idols is to see your greater glory as the fount of living water that truly satisfies, who is worthy of us returning to again and again and again. Thank you for the blood of your Son that covers all of mine and all these people's idolatry, Lord. Help us to come to you in repentance and faith. This I pray in your Son's name. Amen.